0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. We thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're just going to keep plugging through the Gospel of Luke, but I do want to kind of throw out a disclaimer before we get going I'm going to use the word ministry a lot today. I'm going to talk about the preparations specifically that Jesus is going to have for his disciples before he leaves. He he will be leaving their presence here in a few hours to go to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. He will be crucified the next day. He will ascend, obviously, and conquer death. But literally, these are the last few hours and moments that Jesus has with his crew, and he needs to give them some final marching orders to prepare them for the ministry that they have. And before you just check out completely and go, well, I don't do ministry, Todd. I am I, I don't work with you in a church. That's, that's not my thing. I don't know how this applies. I, I just want you to realize that when I use the term ministry. What I'm referring to is the life of a disciple. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you are a disciple and ministry is the life of a disciple. So when I say ministry, I'm really just talking about life, how they were to do life as disciples, how they were to make their life ministry has nothing to do with where your paycheck comes from, has nothing to do with whether you work at a church or not. Ministry is life, and life is ministry as a disciple. So I want us to know that, and I want us to also realize that these are some of the final words of Jesus, so we should probably take note We're going to read Luke chapter 22, 31 through 38, but we're going to actually start at the end, read that chunk first, and then come back to the beginning. I'm sorry that's a little confusing, but we're going to start with Luke 22, verse 35, okay? And these are Jesus' final words, his instructions on how to be ready for ministry to his disciples. He said in verse 35, Jesus asked them, "'When I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything?' Nothing, they answered. Now, obviously, we're jumping right into the middle of a conversation here. So what is Jesus referring to? He's referring to about a year earlier when he sent the 12 disciples out to preach to the Jewish people, to tell them the kingdom of God is near. He's talking about that sending of them. It was a short-term mission trip, but he sent them out and he's saying, when I sent you without a purse, without money, when I sent you without a bag, extra extra supplies, when I sent you... <laughs> or even sandals. Did you lack anything? No, 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 no. We we were good. We had everything we needed. And so since Jesus is referring to this, I think it's worthwhile to go back and at least read it. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, that is a great way to win favor with a community that you're coming into to preach to them. Walk in. Cast out impure spirits, heal sickness and disease. That's a great, great tool in your ministry bag. Jumping to verse five, Matthew 5 through 10. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Go just to God's people. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. I mean, that's a tall order. That's a tall list, but he's given them the authority and the power to do that. Freely you have received, freely you give. Freely you have received the message of the kingdom of God. Give it freely to those who will listen. Verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts or your purses, no bags for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. You are going to be dependent upon the favor of God and the kindness of people. This is a short-term mission trip. Go out, take nothing with you. The Lord will provide. That's how they were sent out. Jesus reminds them of that. Were you lacking in anything? No, no, Lord, nothing. We, we had everything we needed. Jesus is now going to change things a whole lot. Okay, so going back into the upper room, Jesus' final words, Luke chapter 22, 36 through 38, here's what he says. He said to them, but now, for this next mission I'm going to send you on, but now, if you have a purse, take it. If you have a bag, take it also. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. We'll get back to the sword stuff here in a moment. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, That's Isaiah 53, verse 12. So Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage written about him a thousand years earlier. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. I am going to be called a sinner, a traitor, a criminal. I'm going to be called that here in the next few hours when they crucify me. That's a, that's a fulfillment of a prophecy. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Verse 38, the disciples said, "'See, Lord, here are two swords.'" That's enough, he replied. That'll, that'll be good. So, as Jesus is giving these marching orders, this time it's different. This mission's going to take the rest of your life. Go ahead and get the supplies you're going to need. You're going to need a purse. You're going to need some money, okay? Ministry's going to cost you money. Life costs money. You're going to need some of that. If you don't have any, you're going to have to find some. If you have a bag with your extra things, a change of clothes, toiletries, that type of stuff, you're going to want to take that with you. Throw in a few extra pairs of shoes as well. You're going to want to have those with you. This is going to be a endeavor. So be ready for it. If you have a cloak, you're not going to need that. That was a nice outer garment. You're going to need to be simple in this. Ministry is meant to be simple. You're going to need to keep it simple. If you have a cloak, go ahead and sell that. You're probably going to want to get a sword. Now, as Jesus was speaking, the disciples obviously looked around the room and they're like, hey, Jesus, we've got two swords. We're, we're, we're doing good, right? I, we, clearly you want us to arm up. Now, why? What is going on with the sword here? I think it's very important for us to try to understand this. For the disciples, they got so excited about the sword because that's completely contrary to how Jesus has ever done ministry. And so I think what they're thinking is, oh, we're going to battle. What we thought was maybe going to happen, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to go fisticuffs with the Romans. All right. If we're going to need a sword to do the ministry, let, we got two already. We can go sell some cloaks. We can, we can get some more. But they completely missed it. They completely missed it. Because here in just a few hours... Peter, one of the two people that had a sword in the room, he's going to pull his out when a small army comes to Jesus. It's recorded in John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This is not time to battle. This is not time to pull out your sword. This is time for me to suffer and die. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for the sins of the world. Put away your sword. So if the swords weren't for battling, then why did Jesus make a big deal out of having a sword? Because I think he was wanting his disciples to realize they were about to lead the biggest rebellion in the history of man. They were about to flip the script on all the kingdoms of the world. Now, they were going to go, as we saw last week, as servants, as the least of these. They were going to go humbly to love and to serve. That, that was their purpose. So why the sword? I think it was symbolic. You're an army, and you're going into battle. That battle, it, it's going to cost some of you your lives. I want you to be ready for it. You're not supposed to go slay people with your sword. That's not what Jesus wanted them to do. But he wanted them to see what was happening. These were new marching orders. Soldiers, you're going into battle, battling for an invisible kingdom, as Jesus himself said, the kingdom of God. But you are the righteous. You are the ones called to go. So I need you to go. Now, they were conquerors. But they didn't conquer with a sword. They conquered with truth, with the gospel, with love. Some have said that Jesus was referring to the sword of the Spirit. Okay, which we read in Ephesians is the Bible, the truth, possibly even the Holy Spirit. If that's what he was referring to, they missed it. So I don't really think that's what he was referring to. I think he was being pretty literal with a figurative meaning but they would absolutely need the Bible. They would need the Holy Spirit. They would need truth. Um, they, they would need all that. And so do we. But just looking at this first section, when preparing for ministry, as a disciple, ministry is life. Remember, you're going to need some money. It costs to live. And I think that's just saying, I, I've heard people go, I'm, I'm selling it all, and I'm just going to live every day for Jesus. Uh, My my whole life is going to be devoted to him. That's a wonderful sentiment. But something that Jesus himself didn't ever really ask us to do. You, You need to be able to feed yourself. You need to not become a burden on others. To do life and ministry, it will cost. And so you need to find a way to secure some kind of money. It can't become your idol. It can't become your number one drive or your passion. And you dang sure don't do ministry to get rich. But you will need resources. You'll need some possessions. It's okay to have those, to have a change of clothes, some toiletries, necess- necessities for, for life on the road, life doing ministry. You're going to need those things. But you're not going to need extra stuff like a cloak. You, you, just, you just need to be a warrior. You need to go battle. And those were the final words before, or according to Luke, those are the final words before Jesus left to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Now, what he said before this... Okay, What he said before this starts in verse 31, and he's going to predict Peter's denial of him. And and so this is also still preparing, but now just Peter for ministry. And we can learn a lot from this preparation as well. But I want you to remember the tail end of which this next statement comes. Jesus had just talked and taught his disciples about what greatness in the kingdom of God is. It's like the one who's the youngest. It's like the least of these. It's a servant of all. He's just taught that. But then at the end of that, if you remember from last week, he said, and now there's a betrayer at this table and we need to know who it is. And and so after that teaching, he then says this, verse 31, Simon, Simon, two times, the old name of Peter the old name, because Jesus gave Simon a new name. He gave him Peter, the rock, Petras. He gave him a name, but he's using the old name now. And he says it twice. He's trying to get his attention. Hey, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Now, asked is in the past tense. So this conversation between Satan and Jesus or Satan and God, however that went down, went like this, Satan comes up and goes, I don't think your boys got it. I think they're all gonna fall flat on their face. I think they're all gonna fail. I don't think they have the moxie. I don't think they have what it takes. So I would like to weigh them. I would like to measure them. I'd like to test them and see if maybe they've got it. And so what Jesus is saying now is, hey, Simon, hey, Simon, there's a test coming. There's a test coming that's been ordained by God and Satan's going to administer it. And it's going to absolutely destroy you. It's going to be a very difficult test for you. And at the end of it, everyone's going to be weighed. Now, Peter's obviously at this moment wondering, why is this happening now? Do I I not have enough going on? But Peter needs to hear these words of Jesus. They're very important words for his ministry preparation. Because right now, Peter is a little too big in his britches. And he needs to be knocked down a peg to have the humble servant nature that it takes to be the leader of the church. We see Judas and Peter being mentioned one right after the other. Judas, the betrayer, and Peter, the one who's about to get weighed and tested by Satan. And honestly, both will fail. They'll fail the test. Judas will go and disown Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and hand them over to the authorities. Peter will disown Jesus in front of a crowd of people three times claiming, I don't even know the guy. They both will disown him. But there's a distinct difference between Peter and Judas. And it's the same thing that separates all of us today who fall short of the glory of God. All of us broken sinners, that's that's all of us. There's one thing that separated Peter and Judas and it separates us, and that is their love for Jesus. That is our love for him, our heart for him. Satan will push Peter right to the edge with God's permission, but he will not be destroyed like Judas was. He'll come back. He'll come back from that edge. Many of the schemes of Satan are intended to destroy us. Many times we are tempted, tested, tried by Satan and he wants to destroy us, but God actually uses those moments, those trials that Satan throws at us He uses them to purify and perfect us. And in this case, God is getting Peter ready for ministry. And his test is a doozy because his mission is a big one as well. His mission is to form and lead the church. That's what Peter was called to do. That's the rock upon which he's going to build his church. That's his task. Now, Jesus does have some encouraging words after crushing Peter and letting him know he ain't going to make it. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I've prayed for you, Simon. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, when you've come back to me, I need you to strengthen your brothers. I need you to do that for me. Jesus is looking Peter dead in the eye and saying, dear friend, brother, you're going to fail. You're going to fail me. You're going to disown me. But your faith is not going to fail you. And that's a huge ministry point. That's a huge life ministry point. We will mess up. Just because you're working for God does not mean that everything you do is going to be successful. But you must maintain your faith. Your faith is what will get you through. That's what we need to lean on because it's Peter's faith that will lead him to repentance. It's his repentance that will strengthen him. His strength will be spread to his brothers, the other disciples. And the gospel mission of the church will start because of him, because of his passion, because of his strength, because of his faith. And we still rely on that same passion Strength and faith today, as broken people leading God's church. That's what we're called to do. That's what we do. Peter is a model for all who seek to minister today. It's how our faith leads us to forgiveness, reconciliation, and personal improvement. And all those things glorify God. But it begins with faith and making sure that that faith is solid, especially in the moments where we're tested the most. We must retain that faith. Now, Peter is very bold in this response. A little misguided, but bold. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. And he'd prove that. He'd prove that here in a couple hours when he tried to fight a small army with one sword. He was ready to to lay down his life. He was ready to do that. And he says, Lord, I would never forsake you. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. Verse 24. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're actually going to deny me three times. You're going to deny three times that you know me. Peter, son of You're bold. And I'm not anywhere near done using you. I've got great, huge plans for you. And I know you're willing to fight. And you're willing to even die with me. You'll you'll prove that here in just a few moments. You're willing to die with me. But sometimes, sometimes it's a lot harder to lay down your life every day for me. And I need you to be ready for that. It's one thing to go down in a hail of glory. It's another thing to daily put yourself last so that the kingdom of God can go forward. I need to knock you down a peg and I'm going to let Satan do that. In the next few hours, you're going to disown me three times, but then I'm going to bring you back. Your faith is going to bring you back. And we know the end of the story because we get to see Peter and Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. A few days from now, after Peter had disowned him, after Peter had gone back to fishing, his, his life and ministry were over and Jesus is sitting there cooking breakfast and Peter sees him and dives out of the boat swims up to the shore, sopping wet, he stands in front of Jesus, and Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Each time using a different word to talk about a different type of love. Do you love me like a brother? Yes, Jesus, I love you like a brother. Do you have respect for me? Do you love me in that way? Yes, Jesus, I have respect for you. Yes, I love you that way. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? Do you love me unconditionally? Peter's broken. Three times he's been asked the same question. He's broken. He says, Jesus, you know I love you unconditionally. Then go. Then go and feed my sheep. Go get to work. What are you doing fishing, man? You got work to do. Peter wasn't ready for his ministry yet. He needed to be tested, he needed to be broken, he needed to be humbled. And he was, but he never lost his faith. So then Jesus, just like he does with you and me, pulls up those broken messes and goes, now go. Go, feed my sheep. Go do my work. What I learned from this passage and what I think we need to know is that doing ministry and specifically a life of ministry Kind of some of the simple things. It, it will require money. That's the purse that Jesus talks about. You, you have to have some stuff. You don't have to have a lot of stuff. But you have to have some possessions, clothing, toiletries, and necessities. But most importantly, you're going to need faith. You're going to need to be faith-filled. You're going to need to be tested by the fire, which life brings us plenty of fire and testing. You're going to need a passionate heart for Jesus, specifically a heart that's been forged in failure, but then reinstated by the love of God for you. That's that's the refined heart. That's the heart that can stand the test of time. Jesus wants you to know, he he wants you to hear this. Children, you're going to fail me, but your faith in me will carry you through. For, For me, that's probably the biggest ministry point. It won't be perfect. It's going to be far from it. There's going to be times when I share the gospel and someone looks at me dead in the eye and goes, no, I don't want anything to do with that. There's going to be times where I have grand schemes for the church and ideas and things, and I believe that it's got to absolutely be from the Lord and, and it doesn't materialize, it doesn't make. But my faith in God, that he's still sovereign, that he's still in control, Jesus is still very much enough. My faith in him is what gets me through and actually makes me stronger. Whatever you're going through today, church, whatever you're going through today, whatever trial that you face in life, and there's going to be many, belief or faith that God can and will get you through, that God can. That's That's the faith that God can and will get you through, will get you through your life, will allow your ministry to be fruitful, the belief that following Jesus is the greatest thing you can ever do and choose to do, but yet never promised to be easy. Your faith in him will get you through. God can, God will, and God does. And I pray today that as you look at your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then your life is your ministry. I pray today that you will trust and believe that God can, that Jesus will use you to grow his kingdom and glorify his name. I pray that you'll do that because that's what we've all been saved to do, is to glorify him. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and experienced that gift of salvation, then I pray you do that today. But whatever it is, I want you to know that God can and God will. And your faith in that, in that sentiment, in that truth will get you through. Father, help us to see just how mighty and powerful and loving you are Help us to let our lives be a ministry unto you. Let our words, let our deeds, let our jobs, let our families, Lord, whatever it is, what life is to us, may it be a means by which we make much of you, we glorify you, we serve you and love you, for you are worthy of all those things. Thank you for the life and the life eternal that you've given us. May we use that life to glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.